Okay, so before we get into the episode, I do want to give a little disclaimer. We talk a bit about trauma and just what that looks like. So just a heads up. Um, nothing too big, but we did want to give just a little heads up that we are going to talk a bit about that kind of stuff today. Um, yeah. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Happy Tuesday. Um Today is a really special day because we have a really special guest with us, Miss Veronica. Woohoo! Hello. <laughs> um, Veronica and I are in the same program, the MFT program for Vanguard, and that's where we met. And mm-hmm. honestly, it's been the best getting to know you uh-huh. and like hearing your story, which is why I invited her today. Uh, Veronica has like worked in the past with the foster care system. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, but I think you just need to get coffee with Veronica one time to know that she like deeply cares for people. Oh, and it's been kind. like, it is really who you are. And I think mm-hmm. that's, I, I just have been so blessed by the many conversations we've had in the program and just about mm-hmm. life. So I'm so happy to have you mm-hmm. here. <laughs> Thanks for saying all of that. That's super sweet. I'm excited to be here. And it's my first time doing a podcast. <laughs> so... I'm excited to just talk. I am Veronica Coferson. Um, I'm from the Bay Area. I went to school in Santa Barbara at Westmont College, which is a small Christian school up in the mountains in Santa Barbara. And then I stayed there post-college for a couple years. And then now I'm living in Orange County, go to Vanguard with Steph in grad program. Um, let's see. I've always, so on the topic of being social or caring about people, I guess I've always been a social butterfly, making friends in class, um, going to school because of friends, not because of academics. Mm -hmm. Um, and just have always cared about people in friendships. And I think I found that I'm, you know how when you're a kid, you have like these questionnaires in class and it asks you what your favorite hobbies are. Yeah. I would always put hanging out with my friends <laughs> as my hobby. I never knew what else I liked to do, you know? I just always spent time with people. So I think that that's always carried on in my life. Um, it's hard to let go of friends. It's hard to, you just want to collect more and more friends and people. Um, and then when I was in college, I would say that that's probably what led me to study psych. So I studied psychology just because that was the one thing I thought I would like is the study of people and and how we function. And some of that, my desire to study psych also came from my own family dysfunction and, you know, relationship dysfunctions with my parents and wanting to understand that more, wanting to understand my parents. And so it was kind of like a road of discovery and I will say, I would say that it's still that way. I think when you study psych, you end up discovering who you are more. You discover things about people you know or um, just how life works. So that's like an intro before I actually got into the realm of foster care. But yeah, yeah. I definitely want to add that the program has mm-hmm. helped with that self-awareness and like learning so much about yourself. Mm-hmm and reflecting on the social part i could relate to that too Mm -hmm. like when you love people you just want to get to know everything about 
how people function. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that like really fascinating because I really resonate with wanting to learn about family dynamics and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm super into psych as well, but I, I'm not like in a master's program to yeah. pursue that. Um, but I think it's really eye opening, like the books I've read, shows I've watched, mm-hmm. and like I always learn from stuff, mm-hmm. just like what you guys talk about. I feel like you're like my mini master's program. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I love that you guys are both pursuing mm. that, and I feel like I don't know. I, I feel like I know you a little bit just because you mm. you're pursuing that. Mm-hmm. You can get an insight into yeah. who someone is based yeah. off of what their career is mm-hmm. or interests are. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. But now I want to kind of take a step back before the program. Mm. So kind of take me through how you even started in the foster care system. And the reason I want to, first of all, bring this up, because I know there's so many, Mm -hmm. obviously so many areas of your life, but this particular part also to me, like, is so special. And I know even more from this program that it is like a population that Mm -hmm. I think isn't always seen and I I just think this would be a good opportunity to share your story but also like educate people on what it is like to work with kids who are in the system and who are experiencing like just like a lot of pain and um you know there is a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. so but first kind of share your story of how you got in Mm. and how that was like to begin with Mm. and yeah how that led how that led to you being in in the program mm-hmm. okay yeah i would agree i agree i would agree with you that it, it almost seems like a lot of kids in the system go under the radar or they're apart from that population uh, unless you know somebody in the system or they're you i don't know there's some, some type of connection you kind of forget that there are a lot of kids and yeah kids and youth who are living in the bounds of our our foster care system. So I didn't I feel like when I was in college, yeah, or before college, high school, college, all that, I was unaware of what our child welfare system is like and I didn't have any friends who were in the foster care system. When I was very little, I had one friend, her name was Selena, and I was like 5. We had the same birthday. Um, we'd always celebrate our birthdays together and I knew she was a foster, she was in the foster system. Um, and besides that, my knowledge was very limited until I did a practicum my senior year or a internship my senior year of college because I studied psych, I had to do an internship and there was a group home called Noah's Anchorage in Santa Barbara. And I don't know, I think, oh yeah, that's how. I had heard about it through a different organization I was working with during a summer in college uh, for youth that are on the streets. So, yeah, youth that are um, living on the streets. And so I did an internship with this organization called Uffizi. And then I through that, I think I got connected to Noah's Anchorage. So it was like a temporary housing option for kids who are in the foster care system or kids who need a break from their home in the community so you could either way it was a volunteer status so either your social worker signs you in or 
your mom and dad sign you in as a youth. And it was like a temporary either one night stay or a week stay or whatever. I think Max was like nine months, you know, or so I volunteered there for a whole uh, semester. So four months. And that's when I first started to learn about the system more. And uh, I was around kids that were in the system and that would get checked in. So around social, the social working sphere (laughs) and my heart just broke. I mean, it's so easy. I think, yeah, it's so easy to um, empathize or that's probably not the best way to put it because it is hard to put your feet in their shoes, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's easy to have like curiosity and compassion. I guess that's a better word for kids that um, have been kind of like wandering without a family unit and so I, I immediately, my eyes immediately kind of opened to that world and, um, the different youth that would come in who were in the system, who were, who, who were going to get in the system because of their, ho- their living situation. Um, it was heartbreaking because you can see and feel their, uh, pain and almost desire to have security. So like lack of security and desire to have a family unit that's um, secure. Can I ask you mm-hmm. a question? Mm-hmm. So like, what was your role mm-hmm. with them? Mm-hmm. Good question. I would, yeah, my role was direct care. And so I, that meant I would take care of them throughout their day. So working at Nose Anchorage because it was, it was transitional and short term. And also it was a crisis center. So we took a lot of crisis clients because of that. Um, the work looked like, like if the kid came in kind of doing an intake with them, seeing what their situation is, um, and then giving them food if it was just like short term, and then maybe if they slept there, making sure they go to bed, like almost like supervising them, supervising them, taking care of their immediate needs, their foundational needs and, um, assessing for the issue that they're coming in for. And if they're, if they're a kid that's, um, in the system, their social worker would typically be there, do the intake with you, all that. Um, so I was mainly like taking care of their basic needs and then talking with them, getting to know them, hearing their story, hanging out like, and because I was just an intern at the time, I think I was limited to that. I eventually after college worked there for four months. So then I actually started doing case notes and all the legal stuff, answering phone calls, doing crisis phone calls. Um, yeah. So that was my role and working there, there was a, there was only like a handful of kids that would come in throughout my time there. It was, it was, it was rarely consistent. It's kind of like I would see a kid for one week and then never see him again or see them for one day, never see them again. Um, and then do you have any more questions or should I keep going? <laughs> no. Yeah. I already have, I didn't I go didn't to know, the hope refuge. Is that kind of like the, the gist of it? Just, I don't want to interrupt. That's anything. the start of it. And then there was the second place I worked, which was way more, uh, foster care based. Okay. If that makes sense. I have a few questions for the, this, uh, it's called, remind me, no art. No is Anchorage. Mm-hmm. No is Anchorage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the coming in and the coming out of like, Mm-hmm. kids like how was it for you to meet someone and I know that there's a lot of AWOL like in or you mm-hmm. know just situations where they should have stayed longer but they leave mm-hmm. I don't know if it happened did that happen 
been here? Is that why they left, or was it because they were, like, assigned to go? Both. Okay. Well, I'm kind of curious when you knew, like, they needed more time with, like, the program, and mm-hmm. then they left. Like, how was that to see to see them not choose that help, but to rather, like, leave? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of different scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, probably, I probably felt discouraged or um, almost you feel kind of hopeless because you know that their situation feels hopeless to them mm-hmm. and it's easy for them to kind of apathetically trudge along in life and go from one place to the next with a less with not a lot of thrill or hope because they have felt like that's their whole life for the most part is having to go from one place to the next without a, without their own um what's the word like yes or without their own like decision decision right? yeah. yeah yeah and so i probably yeah i think i think typically what would happen is they would get placed somewhere different because the Noah's anchorage was temporary so then their social worker would place them in another place there was one girl that i remember she wasn't in, in she wasn't in the system yet she just had a really bad home life and she was at Noah's anchorage in and out and she would a wall often and then come back and then a wall and come back and kind of use it as a uh a home base for her to go do her thing. And I remember feeling like this longing to, that she would choose good for herself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think she just had so much going on in her inner world that it was hard to make those clear rash decisions. She was mm-hmm. a teenager, probably like 13, 14. So. That's crazy. I feel like, okay, I know you have like, more experiences but i feel like what comes to mind for me i don't know if you guys heard about the story in paris california of the Mm -hmm. they're like named something Mm. the children yeah the children who were like literally locked in their home yes i do know what you're talking about i watched that documentary yes it's literally a documentary yes um so basically for those of you who don't know it's this couple they're married they have like six plus children i think like 12, um, I think. They had like yeah. 13. And their range of age is like crazy, like a two-year-old to like a 30-something-year-old. Yeah. And like they were all literally like chained up um, in their rooms and like weren't taken care of at all, like mm-hmm. basically abused. And long story short, um, one of the daughters escapes, calls 911, or I guess a police officer approached her. And long story short, um, they all like the youth basically 18 and lower get placed into the foster care system and oh, i don't know if you guys right. know now but they're actually fighting against the state of california for the foster care system just in general because mm. they feel like they were placed in a position similar to like what they were experiencing mm. with their parents wow so like that kind of comes to mind because it sounds like no- noah's anchorage yeah it sounds like a really like safe place where yeah. like you guys want to help people and people can come and go you know as they wish but i think overall like do you feel like you resonate with that from your experience of mm. it's not the best the kind system? of system yeah <laughs> the foster homes <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's a whole topic that you can like a rabbit trail we could probably go down because 
even the place I worked is it was considered a group home at the time. When I left, it was transitioning into what is called an STRTP, short-term resident, short-term residential therapeutic program. Yeah, that's short, where I was. Short-term for a few program. Months. Yeah. 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 You were, which is mm. all of Crest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you interned there. Yeah. Okay, I remember a bit. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I was a when I was a senior and I was doing my practicum, I had to do a project on group homes and do a bunch of research on is it helpful or not essentially and that was interesting to do because what was happening at the time was they were transitioning group homes to strtps so now group homes are trying they're trying to basically eradicate group homes because they haven't found that they're helpful where they are wanting i would strongly agree (laughs) yeah (laughs) me too which it's so tough because it's like the third it's like the resolution that the our country has come to since there aren't enough beds for kids in homes and to your point, there aren't enough health, good homes. And so then they have these group homes. So now they're turning them into more of a therapeutic environment is what they're trying to add to it. So that means that there's a lot more, there's hopefully more structure and there are people that are coming in and checking to see, is this actually an adequate SGRTP? Mm-hmm. So what I, but I, what I learned my senior year, I think in that, in that project was, how I think group homes are tough because they are not really a real home. I think kids are longing for a home. We want security. I mean, we're learning about attachment in college, in grad school right now. And so it's just being like railed into my brain, how important a secure attachment is for a child to grow and to become a healthy, independent person an adult one day. So if they don't have that, they're going to, found it almost they're more likely to founder they're more likely to to feel like they don't have what it takes to be on their own um so that's why you see statistics of kids who are in the system that don't finish college don't go to college all that because they didn't have that secure base so all that like when it comes to group homes it can be tough when you're um around a bunch of kids who are going through stuff emotionally and you don't have the space to be seen or heard or taken care of and you have these two staff that are there (laughs) You know, like the ratios are crazy. It's like one to four. Yeah, I want to one to five. Like, kind of add the. I love that you added the secure attachment because, just to give you guys a picture, it was really hard for me to see these girls come into this home, and have to adapt to like strangers. Um, and some would be there for longer than others, and then a new person would come. But they also come with their own triggers and. Yep. sometimes they would literally be afraid to mm-hmm. go to their own room to mm-hmm. sleep. Yeah. And that was heartbreaking because you want them to feel safe, but they're not feeling safe. Um, mm-hmm. But kudos to the staff I was with. They they tried really hard, but like finances, like I don't think like the state of California supports like the foster care enough to like have the finances or just the means to actually provide what they're asking Mm-hmm. That, like these programs to provide that was frustrating oh my gosh yeah that so there's so much that goes into it that's why i said we could go down a whole rabbit hole because you, you like to your point you know staff don't get paid enough the staff that are coming in aren't always the most what's the word prepared <laughs> prepared for what they're getting themselves into and uh, and so there's a lot of uh burnout and there's a lot of turnover and so um, there's not, it's almost like there's not enough staff for all the kids that need emotionally, need physically, need all the, you know. Um, 
So then that tie, like, I think that's tied to foster when it comes to foster homes. It, from my perspective, it, it working in this realm a little bit, it feels like there aren't enough good homes. Like, cause you hear so many terrible stories of these kids going from home to home and hating a lot of their experiences and getting re-traumatized, re-triggered. And, and I don't know what the root of that is. I don't know why there are these terrible people taking in kids or, you know, what did the support, do they need more support? Do they need to, maybe every kid needs a wraparound team. And I don't know how that looks like sometimes in certain programs, kids have wraparounds, which means they have their therapist, their social worker, their, um, whatever it is, something else, maybe like plan for food. Like, you know, they basically they have a whole team that's helping them. And then their foster kid, their foster parent, you know, and maybe every kid needs that, like a plan so that the parent doesn't feel like they can't handle everything. Cause I think another route, another reality is these kids are coming in with a lot of unresolved trauma. So typically in their attachment is, is so wounded that they're coming into these homes they don't trust the parent so they're gonna if especially if it's a teenager they're gonna throw fit they're gonna run away they're gonna be rude they're gonna be aggressive and the the parent probably doesn't know how to self-regulate probably doesn't know how to just be empathetic and just be compassionate so they get angry they get aggressive and it's this whole cycle of um of wounds like pain and hurting each other um and so it just takes it takes a long time for a good amount of time for most kids to grow trust for an adult and an adult that they're supposed to be counting on. And it takes like a pretty healthy adult who's self-aware to take in a kid and be okay with the pushback from them and stay strong and stay selfless, you know? And so I, I wonder if that's where things get really messy because um, maybe those foster care parents also have their own issues, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so. Wow. Like how, okay, that brings me to like this fantasy, I think foster, is it foster care parents or foster parents? Oh, yeah, Those, yeah. You know, I think they have this fantasy of like rescuing yep. these kids. And Save your mentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's going to be like so amazing and they're going to transform in a week. And the truth is that's the, you know, trauma doesn't work like that. Mm-mm. And Mm-mm. that kind of leads me to um, like when you started, what was like the hardest part of seeing the reality of what trauma really looks like? Mm-hmm. like do you have a certain experience or something that really like, like you'll always remember was this insight moment of, wow, this is what trauma really mm-hmm. looks like. Gosh, I can have a list of stories. Well, what I didn't include before is I worked at this place called Hope Refuge, which is a, which was, is, and was at the time a startup STRTP. So it was, um, it's in the mount uh, it's somewhere in California and it's basically like a, safe home for for youth for foster youth specifically girls who are in their in uh ages 12 to 8 17 and a lot of them have been uh, have been through incredible trauma and have been exploited in different ways and so and they're all in the system so they um the hope refuge is 
is like a short term but longer term place for them to live so they could be there from I mean ideally it was like four months to 10 months sometimes it was less than that and it was in the middle for different residents um, so that's where I really experienced the grit of my work so far with um, work with working with youth who are in the system and I was direct care, but I was full time and I was the evening. So I worked Wednesday to Saturday. Can I just add like that's like the toughest shift, everybody. Yeah, guys. <laughs> Evenings. It's the, be- it's the most rewarding, but it's tough. It was tough because you get their home life. I mean, sc- the school shift, it was hard, too. I did. I heard a lot from the school shift. And then I also worked it sometimes because you also get their attitude during during school because they don't want to be there and they're stuck on campus. So but then with with the after school shift with when I worked, you got you got a lot of the trauma that comes out. And yeah, at the same time, you get the sweet moments and you get the bonding moments and the moments where you can get to know them more um, and just be like a safe place for them. Um, so, yeah, we're, I worked at like 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. Saturdays, it was, we worked 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. It was a crazy long day. And Saturdays, we typically didn't have any other staff except our team of four gr- women. Mm-hmm. And um, What about Sundays? I, uh, they Same similar thing. I think they did have more staff that day because it was like church day kind of thing. And so I think they had like pastors, a pastor that would come a minister that would come in the morning, but then the rest of their day was just like those staff. I never worked the Sunday to Wednesday shift. I always worked Wednesday to Saturday shift. Um, so working there was, it was the most transformational job for me. And oh gosh, I have so many stories to answer your question trauma it was like the first time I really really recognized what trauma could look like and and it looks different for every person um and I think every person reacts differently yeah because every person reacts differently um I'm gonna try to think of how to put it I think what would happen typically is a kid would come in they would some kids were already shy and reserved some were the opposite you know like loud they knew the system they knew more than you and what are you doing here you don't know anything you look like you're 18 you know and some of them were trusting and excited to be there you know and every personality is different um so you would just see like the surface of who they are in the the first couple days the first couple weeks and then eventually once they're there for two plus weeks three weeks it starts to get to them like oh i'm trapped you know, like, and especially where we were, it, it they weren't able to leave that much. <laughs> and so it, they, I think they're, the, a lot of the things they're dealing with, a lot of their, um, their emotions, their memories, the, the pain, the fear, the trauma is in their body. They're holding it and they're stuck with it. And so, you know, they can't even sleep at night because they're mem- remembering things and that's when everything's quiet. And then how it came out often was aggression, frustration, um, and getting mad at you for things like projecting things on you as the staff and 
or on each other, getting into fights with different girls for whatever reason. Um, and like, for example, you know, there was one girl who uh, she, she would always be stirring the pot with her drama and she got into a fight with one of the girls, but her reaction was, you know, she got so angry. I forget what, what she was getting mad at, but she started throwing rocks into windows and like throwing things all over the house. And, get, and she got triggered by something escalated and got everything got messy. Um, and eventually like, you know, deescalated and you, t you would talk with her. Um, and so it like, that kind of anger, you know, getting into fights with each other. They had a lot of the girls fought. I was never there for a real fight. I was there when a fight almost happened and then we, we stopped it. But on my, on other shifts, a lot of girls would fight. So that's a lot of like their frustration. Um, a lot of girls, a couple girls that started to AWOL. So they really needed to get out of there and we, they would try to run away. We'd have to chase them down. Um, a lot of self harm. So, yeah, there were girls that would cut themselves and we would, um, we wouldn't always catch it, but sometimes I would catch it. And so having to like respond to that and, um, or like slamming their door, like getting upset at you going slamming their door, you know? And so I think it's just, I guess it comes out through emotion and sometimes it was harsh and angry and sometimes it was sad and, and like more looked like depression, you know? Um, I like just want to ask, I guess, advice in a way or just, yeah, some tips for, I mean, you've experienced the highest of emotion for that. So I just think it's fitting to ask, like, what is the best way to confront someone when they're having a breakdown like that? Mm -hmm. or, you know, there's maybe something triggered them because I think maybe we might not all experience it at that extreme, but we all have friends or family that something a memory or an emotion it's just becomes really heightened and we don't know how to respond so based on like your experience like how can like what's the best way to respond to those really intense emotions mm -hmm. as direct care or just people in general Ooh. working with youth working with the kid like kids who might be processing their trauma or um i i'm curious just with people in general mm-hmm Hmm. I think, I mean, I, th I think based off of the experience there, I would say, I know that I did, I, we had to do crisis training. And so you learn what to do to prevent a, an escalation. Cause once the person loses their grip emotionally, they start to escalate. It's really hard to get them back down. You kind of have to wait for it all to stop to all the mess to happen. And then you can respond. But if you can catch them before they start to escalate, that's the best, that's, that's the best option. Um, so you have to really be attentive to signs and, you know, for example, with, if I was working there and you start to see a girl get mad at you or maybe in the last couple of days, she's been, um, either like secluded or you can kind of tell if something was wrong emotionally. Um, and then maybe that day someone's, she gets in a fight with a girl she's not wanting to go to lunch she's not wanting to go to dinner or whatever you start to pick up on the signs it's probably best to check in on her and see what she needs and talk like talk with that person um and 
show that you're there to to talk out talk talk about what's going on um maybe it's yeah she has to be separated from that other student or, or the other resident but so trying to prevent it somehow but if you're getting if it's the point of escalation then um i mean when it comes to to crisis like that and high intense reactions to trauma like that it's it it's hard to stop the person like you know for her she's throwing or for some of the residents they're throwing things all over the that the room or all over the um cottage and you kind of gotta let them do that and and well not just let them you can voice you can say certain things like hey i i know i hear you're i see you're upset i i understand that that um this upset you can we can we walk outside can we take a walk giving options can we can we take a walk and talk about it um you know gosh it was it's, it is tricky because it really depends the situation yeah <laughs> um, but, but I yeah like, i think i'm seeing like being proactive not reactive yeah but if you're stuck the in ideal like, <laughs> yeah which is i'm sure really hard because you have to be observant mm-hmm. very observant attuned to um, them the signs Mm -hmm. but i think people are like that like we all do give i think that's kind of i don't know i see this interesting way we are as humans we do give a little warning sign before like almost like a yellow before we get to like red you know furious (laughs) like we do give you warning signs there's um there's ways we are kind of screaming for help before we get to a point where like it's like you have to just weigh out all the all the intense emotion yeah um but yeah, even adding that, like the, would you say that's like de-escalating, like the walking and like just trying to yeah offer other like avenues to help them process it or maybe cool down? Yeah, to cool down. Um, yeah, I think trying your best to remain calm and to stay with them through the crisis moment is important. Helping, I mean, if there's, if there's going to be, if they're a danger to themselves, then that's a whole other thing. Cause if they're a danger to themselves, then that's when you have to really get more or others themselves or others. Um, you have to be a bit more invasive maybe. Um, I mean, not like too invasive where you're going to hurt yourself, but it might mean like calling the cops or doing this or do, like getting to the next step. Um, and yeah. And then afterwards, I think once they're deescalated, ideally, talking with them in a way that's uh, not shaming or accusational like look what you did not it's not look what you did it's what happened what was going on you know um this is what this is what happened in the last hour or so can you tell me what's going on what went on with you internally you sound you looked upset like you know kind of like processing with them what was that experience like what happened with for you in that moment and then like helping to move forward like what can we do better next time rather than going in with shame i mean i think a lot of us have experienced that with our parents probably where we did something wrong or we got really upset and we had a meltdown and then they go they get mad at you for having the meltdown yeah literally veronica as you said that i felt so like warm inside (laughs) like just because like the like can i repeat this like not like what why did you do that or like that shame instead you like asked what happened like let's go through it let's process it together i think that's like the most loving thing you could say like after anyone has had a breakdown it's more of like hey like 
what happened because you're not putting this moment on them like it's their responsibility but like something obviously caused this mm-hmm. like something happened here mm-hmm. um, that caused you yeah. to respond and i think that's one of those that's one of the things i i i respected about that kind of environment like a home a home environment the group home kind of thing where it's i mean where there are enough safety bounds for the girls i mean they did hurt themselves and um, maybe there was like re-trauma there because of things that went down because you know but but almost it's like this microcosm of hopefully what healing can can where healing can happen because ultimately when that if if that girl didn't break enough rules to leave like if she had a meltdown of some sort and there was this crisis moment we are there to help her process what happened and then still show her grace and love and security that I'm going to show up the next day that didn't scare me away you know especially when it's on you when they get mad at you they yell in your face they do do whatever it is um there's something in them that probably believes you're not going to show up the next day. You're not going to come tuck me into bed. You're not going to like do these things, but then you go and still do that. You still show up because you, we know that what they're going through is way more than just this moment. We know that we're aware that there's so much attached to it. So there's this understanding, like you got to go through it. And this is where hopefully you can do it here and not out there. Like hopefully this is a place where you can actually wrestle through these things, break the window. Cause we're going to clean it up. And we're still going to like show up the next day. And I think that was my most, that was the probably one of the best parts of the job is being, trying to be consistent or apologizing when you mess up and like showing them a different way to, to relationships with adults. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said about like having that place and places you've worked at Mm -hmm. be a place where they can wrestle with these emotions and these traumas because I feel I don't know who told me but this is probably like one of the best advices or just sayings that I've heard in a long time but if you really want to heal you need to go through it you can't Mm -hmm. go around it Mm -hmm. and so to have a safe space to really go through it and just experience whatever comes with that whether it's like anger sadness crying like whatever like that is like like needed so bad and like honestly dude (laughs) it takes such a heart to be in that environment so like props to both of you because Steph I know you've been in like that environment where you've been with like younger girls and youth who are like kind of going through it um but something that's interesting to me is like seeing you both now in this MFT grad program and it's interesting like talking about these youth in the foster care system but then like it's interesting now you're going to have adults who are voluntarily going to go and seek therapy. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. So I don't know. I find that interesting. Like those kids or the, like any, Oh, just adults in general. general. Yeah. Yeah, Right. That's true. And I mean, it might be those kids, you know, when they're older. Yeah. Hopefully (laughs) it's interesting now, like with the youth in the foster care system, it's it's very like, I want to help you. Like almost, I don't want to say force, but like you have to be, Mm -hmm. we want to help you. And Mm -hmm. then kind of the field you guys are going into, it's more of like, Okay, whoever wants to come, like, mm-hmm. come. <laughs> That's know? true. I, I remember there are times when they ask you, like, how much do you get paid? You don't want to be here. You have to be here. You know, you don't want to be here for us. You probably get paid a bunch. And I'm like, I wish I could tell you how much I get paid because it's so minimal. You're like, like I'm not here for the money, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for you. Um, but, yeah, that's that's very true. It'll be a different feeling probably. Yeah. 
Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, these experiences, I kind of want to know now, like, you know, what was like the aha moment of like, I'm going to pursue this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think I realized that all right, with all those different scenarios and there's so many more, you know, like crisis moments or uh, not even just crisis moments, but sitting with girls in their despair, hearing the stories that they went through, which are, you can't even repeat them because they don't seem real. Like they, they shouldn't be repeated and they're so awful that you wouldn't expect that to happen to somebody. And so hearing that, um, there's so much weight attached to it when it comes to trauma and it feels overbearing. Like in what you what I saw, it almost feels like, how do I help? Cause this feel, I don't feel like I'm helping enough and I don't, I didn't know how to respond even all the time, even though you get some training here and there and you can use your own judgment and discernment. It's hard to know what is the most helpful at the end of the day for their healing and, um, there were a lot of flaws in there. There are a lot of flaws in the system and also in that kind of, uh, env- a residential environment. So I think I realized that for, I needed more training for one. That's why I wanted to go back to school is I wanted to learn more about trauma and how to best support those who are walking through healing of trauma and especially those girls those kind of like that kind of population. And then um, also my favorite part of the job was the one-on-one moments. It was the more counseling mentor kind of moments. There was one girl we, I would pretend to be her counselor. Like she was, she kind of started to see me in that way, like as her mentor or whatever it was. And we would do like little mini sessions and I would like write down certain things and then she would be talking to me. Um, and those are my favorite moments. And also when I, they would, they would do like telehealth with their therapists. So sometimes I'd have to sit in and be with a girl while she's getting her therapy. And I recognize that they would be telling more or they'd be, I guess their relationship with that therapist was way more specific and that I, I saw, Oh, that therapist plays that role in her life. I want to do that. Like there was something about it that just kept me interested. Like I would rather play that role than be the disciplinary all the time and be the crisis intervention person all the time. Although that job is so fulfilling because you're like their caretaker. So you're, you're going to get a version of them that they're not going to show anyone else, you know, which I, I will miss that. Um, but yeah, I think that's what caused me to want to go back to school was I need more training. I would rather be a therapist and I'd rather like, figure out how to take care of myself too. That's another thing is I was really touching, tapping on burnout feelings and that experience of burnout only after one year of working there. And so I felt like going to school would help me learn how to take care of myself in the midst of taking care of others and like help. Maybe it would help me to set up those boundaries and learn what that's like. So I think those are my reasonings yeah. for wanting to go back. And then there was this one therapist that we had for probably like two months and then she, I don't know where she went, but she was so badass. <laughs> like she was just so cool and you could tell she just knew what she was doing and like such a force in that field. And we needed her for direction with uh, mental health. And I remember really admiring her and thinking like, Oh, I, I want to do that. You know, so that means I have to go back to school. 
But I honestly like think that's such a beautiful reason to go to school. Mm -hmm. I remember we had coffee once and you said that like trauma was like this beast Mm -hmm. and you realize like you didn't know how to fight it Mm -hmm. and you it's almost like you went to fighting school like you you wanted so badly to help these girls and you you're like here because you're learning how to do that and i think that's so beautiful that you like in a way like have them with you as you're here like Mm -hmm. your reason and like Mm -hmm. uh, i know that leaving these programs like it's hard for the girls too i'm sure it was hard for them to have you leave and then I'm sure for you, like mm-hmm. you're attached, like in the role you had, it is very parental. Mm-hmm. So you almost Gosh, feel yeah. like they're your kids and then to leave. Mm-hmm. But I almost like the whole thing feels like so um, like just this like beautiful picture of like you going to school to learn something like you want to help them so badly. And you didn't know all the ways how you could do that. And mm-hmm. you went to school to like make sure you did mm-hmm. and i'm sure you'll be back and be able to like really help these girls mm-hmm. and yeah i just mm-hmm. yeah i think it's really cool yeah no it's it's a good reminder for me because sometimes i forget why i'm in school and i lose motivation and i don't want to do it the way everyone else does you know i might not want to do private practice you know that's what like i think a lot of people look forward to when they're in an mft program but i would rather work in probably that realm first working with teenagers or at-risk youth um girls you know so it's a good reminder for why I even joined in the first place um I think about them all the time I was thinking about one today well probably because I got also you give me the questions but (laughs) um gosh yeah I wonder how they're doing and where they're at in the world um one cool thing is there was one girl who stayed in touch with me and my um, friend slash coworker, and we got we got connected to her foster family. She had a rough go after leaving. She graduated from the program victoriously, was there for a long time, and she was so different by the time she was so much more, um, whole, I guess, healed and like ready to transition. When by the time she left. She had a hard time with different foster families um, when she left. And then there was one that she ended up getting connected to that was so solid. And this really awesome mom um, and her husband had a couple of different foster kids and had their own. And they took her in and they've been so consistent with her. And so she got to come to my friend's wedding and we got to go to her graduation this year. She graduated high school. And it was like, I could cry, I will cry. But it was like one of the best moments to see her doing well and beating statistics because she graduated high school. And um, a lot of that I think is kudos to, I mean, her foster family right now um, and their boundaries for her and their like consistency and stability and then probably Hope Refuge as well. <laughs> and like, hopefully, um, what the role that, that that healing journey played for her. Um, so anyway, and the God's like grace over her life and provision over her life. But yeah. yeah. No, I also like, sometimes I'm in awe of the girls I've met and what they have been able to overcome. Mm-hmm. So even like all that you said she was able to accomplish Guys, if you could read, like, the files of what they've been through mm-hmm. and see, like, how far these girls get, how successful, it is so inspiring. Mm-hmm. And it does take a whole village to get 
you know these these kids these teenagers get there but also like a lot of their own like strength which mm-hmm. to me sometimes totally is, like, yeah i'm like i don't know if i could have after having that kind of history um that's what i wanted to tell them often like i wanted that to get through their mind like because they couldn't believe that if you told uh, uh, typically like especially if they're really going through it they're not gonna be able to hear you and believe it in their heart that they are strong that they are these things that they're resilient it's probably not what they want to hear i don't but it's what you want to you want them to know so deeply like i'm i don't know how you're waking up the next morning like i don't know how you're continually doing this and you're the strength the resilience the ability you have in you to keep pressing forward with some type of smile on your face even or not you know is it speaks volumes like yeah I wish there could be like a. I wa- at one point I wanted, I wish there could be a, this book of all their stories of all their voices, you know, because they're like a voiceless population, and yet their voice is so life changing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so just to finish off, I have two more questions, and they're basically just about darkness and how I think everyone has experienced darkness. And I think with your experience, you know how to confront that and help. And so, like, my questions are, how do you help others come out of their darkness when they have given up on themselves? And also just advice for someone who wants to help a friend that's been in a dark place. Mm -hmm. And then as you ask it, I'm like, crap, (laughs) do I have an answer? I know that my, my feeling when I read that was it's really hard. And so I think, I don't know if I'm going to fully answer your question. Just like go for it. Because okay. I think you probably, I think you can. Okay. <laughs> I just feel like, yeah. yeah, I think you definitely know. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, that question, it, I can remember moments when I, when I saw darkness in her eyes, you know, like she didn't want to get out of bed. She was literally crying in bed for hours to days. And then, um, so hopeless and also in moments of self-harm and wanting and suicidal ideation or attempts those are the moments when there's just like the darkness in their eyes and when i when i read that question i remembered certain moments and it feels so defeating like i'm feeling defeated i can't imagine what you're feeling because i i don't know how to help you that's how it feels is like there's nothing i can do that's going to change your your demeanor, your level of hope, like what's going on with you, you're still going to keep finding ways to get to this place because you don't see a way out. And so just, I guess, to keep it real, like when someone's in a a really dark place, especially because of their life and experience and trauma and things that they've walked through, it's, it's so, it feels really defeating to get them out of that place. And I would say, so with that, meet them where they're at a hundred percent you know i remember like this one girl she was in her bed for days when she first came and she was like under the covers didn't want to get out Uh, and i i she was so intriguing to me because of that you know and i wanted to like be the one to help open up that shell and i would come to her and sit with her and just like try to talk with her and sit there time and time again hey it's it's v you know and time and time again like try to get to know her and just wait until she responded a little bit and a little bit and these little moments of 
response, opening up, pulling back the covers, talking to me. And um, you really have to be patient and be non-judgmental and not and don't rush ahead of them you know don't say like rise and shine time to get up here's like the like opening of the curtains you know i think um i think it is it is really helpful to give consistency to keep showing up and um also to push them a little bit you know there i think there were times when i had to push her and say you got to go to lunch like you have to eat and you have to be a little bit like tough love and show that you care about their well-being um and then find things that they like, like learn them, find what brings them joy. If it's laughing rather like you got to make them laugh because they've been crying so much, try to get them to laugh. Um, and give, and then like when you, when you can start to see that they're more open, then start, you can start speaking that more firm life into them. Like, this is what I see about you. This is what I see about your future. This is like, you know, and, going deeper with those questions um and if, it, if there's self-harm involved or you know like suicidal attempts then you have to get intense and really get in there and stop them from those moments um yeah there's a one story of a, this girl who had a lot of hard time with self-harm and um she ended up finding or collecting blades and um and would hide them, but you just, I, we, I ended up finding out that she had them, but she didn't want to tell me, you know, and then other girls were telling me she has them. So you're on this, like, the way that you respond, you know that it's it's a very intense moment that you need to respond because of her safety. You kind of need to rush in there, but you have to be patient and slow because you want her to be open to give them to you. Mm -hmm. So it's this interesting dance where you're trying to keep it calm, you're trying to be collected, you but you know, but you also are like, the adult and you have to break in there and so I had to slowly just be like I, I think I know that I think they know that you like have something don't do you have do you have what I'm thinking about or do you have these do you have the whatever the blades she says no I don't have anything no 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 like an, maybe 30 minutes later she comes out I need I need band-aids I hurt myself I need band-aids can you give me band-aids and I'm like okay why do you need them can you show me where you hurt can I I'll help you put them on kind of playing the game with her um and she's like I just need them I never mind never mind and then you know goes to her room and I'm like thinking what do I do like how do I like what do I do so I think I end up getting the first aid kit um or she comes back out to me and she's like limping there's obviously something wrong and I'm like okay well let me bring them to you somehow she softens up to me I don't remember exactly the interactions she softens up to me I go to her room I have these band-aids and I say can I help you put them on and it's like this moment of you're just you're both communicating without communicating I know it's happening girl and you kind of have to tell me and I'm here and I'm safe and it's gonna be okay and can I help you put these on you you're in a lot of pain yeah. and she like she's under the covers she gets she opens up the covers and there's just blood all over you know, her legs. And, um, I, my heart was like, internally, I'm like, Oh man, like, oh. you know, my heart is breaking. Cause I know that this pain is like a picture of what's really going on. And I just had to be like, okay, man, like that looks like it really hurts. Are you okay? Or is it, it hurts a lot, huh? And she's like, 
you know, it's in a lot of pain. And I'm like, okay, let's clean it up. Let me get, hold on. Let me go get paper towels. Let me go get whatever it is. And it's okay. Let's just clean it up. No big deal. Um, And just kind of like acting like it's not a big deal. And she opens up and lets me help her and everything. And being super gentle with her and saying like, thank you for showing me. Thank you for like letting me help you clean that up and da, 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 da. And not making a big deal out of it and not even asking her what's really going on. Just kind of letting it be that. And then um, maybe the next day or something like that, we talked about it. But I guess it's just the whole gentle approach. Okay, there's my story. I went along. um, I went into it. But the gentle approach to helping somebody walk out of a dark place because you really can't walk. You can't like pull them out. I... (laughs) I mean, several times to that, I got really emotional. And I think, to be quite honest, Veronica, like, throughout this, just your stories today, I just see this picture of, like, how love really should be. Mm-hmm. Like, even with the girl, like, I got emotional that, that like, this, I feel like she could have been thinking, is this too much for you? And you responded in a way that's mm-hmm. like, you are not too much for me. And I see this pattern through your time of, in the system to like be that kind of person that's like you are not too much and nothing you will do will make me not come back tomorrow and help you and be there for you Mm -hmm. and it literally makes me emotional because i feel Mm -hmm. like that's the way like love needs to be like it needs Mm -hmm. to be patient it needs to be consistent and persistent and persevere through these things and it's just like so i don't know i'm just touched thank you for like sharing that with us i hope like people can get insight of like that kind of deep love like we need to be giving to each other yeah it's unconditional Mm -hmm. yeah i want to thank you as well i feel like i learned a lot i was telling stuff i was excited for you to come on the podcast because i know like by word of mouth a few people in the foster care system know nothing about it but you've been in it and just like with the girls and with the youth and i would just encourage everyone to like really look into it i feel like i'm inspired now to like read a book on it Mm -hmm. or like listen to a podcast about it because i love what you said too it's like their voices are so powerful but they're not heard you Mm -hmm. know and these stories are just like untold um but yeah thanks so much Mm -hmm. for taking the time to come yeah thanks for having me of course thanks for letting me go there with my stories and thoughts brings me back (laughs) pushes me forward (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. this is not the last of veronica that you'll hear (laughs) (laughs) i love to okay well bye bye